Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Uh, this thing on my nose, you know, um, just I'm going to answer you now just because everybody wants to know. I got two answers for you. One, you should see the other guy. <laughs> and number two, uh, it was plastic surgery. Did it help? <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Let's open our Bibles to Titus chapter 1, shall we? Titus chapter 1. We looked, uh, we looked last time we, we were in Titus, we talked about the unfinished business. Any of you, any of you ever had any, any unfinished business that you needed to take care of? That God has given you to do, that God is asking you to do? Uh, I mentioned that I, uh, I went and I was going to go see the lawyer. I did go see the lawyer. Just, just so you know, I followed through. Sometimes you say, yeah, I'm going to finish. I'm going to do. And then we never follow through, right? So I went and saw the lawyer and I, and I uh, instructed him to give everything that I have to Jim. And Jim said no. So therefore... My family get it. Now, I don't have a lot, but whatever. Anyways, Paul, Paul instructed Timothy to straighten out what was left unfinished in Crete. The, the unfinished business, the things that needed to, to get taken care of there on the island of Crete. And what was it specifically that he asked in that particular situation to take care of? It was really to appoint elders in every town. Now... At that time, there was a whole bunch of towns on the island of Crete, a lot of different uh, places and centers. And so it was not an easy job. It was a, a big job, but it was an important job. And I think what I want to talk about today is how important it is and, and uh, that kind of thing. But why did he want him to do that? I want to just say again, is really for the stability of the fellowship, for the stability of the church, and also for the protection of the churches, uh, against such things as wolves and against false teaching. You need strong leaders. You need leaders to be able to protect the church, to take care of the church. And so, so we're going to look at today, we, we talked about that last time, but we're going to look at today uh, this concept that leadership matters and that character matters. Character matters. It's important. He's going to have a list of qualifications here. Let's read verses 5 through 9. <clears throat> Excuse me. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. That's quite a list. 
I don't know about you, but I look at that, and that's kind of daunting. That's a big list. That's a radical uh, uh, requirement of qualifications. Now, this list is very similar to the, to the list in 1 Timothy chapter 3, which we looked at uh, previously, and I, I looked it up. It was about two years and three months ago where we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so it's, it's not an identical list, though. There are some things included here that are not included there. And, and so we're going to just kind of go through this lift, this list, this lift, this list, uh, because, it, you know, this is kind of what we're talking about. And, the, and, and these uh, letters, the first Timothy, second Timothy, and Titus are the pastoral epistles, which are teaching the church about how churches should be run, right, about leadership in churches. And so we all need to know. They say, well, shouldn't you just be teaching that to leader people? No, no, this is for everybody. Why? So, so you know what leaders should be. And maybe God's not called you to be a leader in a, in a certain way, although I, I believe God's called us all to character, right? We're all called to have godly character if we belong to him. But for the whole church to know, we need to know so that, so that we're not going to get, again, taken down by wolves and false teachers. That we all know what the truth is. So for our own, for our own protection, right? We talked a little bit about the, you know, the fat, fat leaders that we need. And uh, potluck is next week. Anybody remember what FAT stands for? No, that's a different team. We have a FAT team with this financial accountability team, but this is a different FAT. Kelly knows because... Call it out, Kelly. Come on, do it. There you go. Faithful, available, and teachable. And that, you know, that's, that kind of sums it up. That's, I like that. Faithful, available, and teachable. We all should be that too, though, right? We should all be that. But especially leaders. And I, and I add to that too that, that they have time, that they have energy, and that they have desire. They want to do it. They feel God's called them to do it. If you turn back with me to 1 Timothy two books, right? 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, in the very beginning of chapter 3, and, and we're not going to look at that whole list again, but the very first thing he says there is, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he uses that word here, overseer, says he desires a noble task. And then he gives the qualifications and goes down through them. But notice, he, he talks about it there that there's a, a, a heart that's involved in it, that there's a desire that's involved, and there's a, there's a, feels like there's a calling. This is something I feel like God is putting in my heart to do, to be involved with, to, to uh, take on. And that's, I think that's an important thing because as we'll look through these things and we'll talk at the end too, it's not, you know, uh, uh, some of the things that the world looks at in terms of qualifications, but it, what, it's what God looks at and what, what God puts in a heart. Now, I want to mention here uh, this 
idea. We see different terms being used. We see elders here in Titus, and then back in Timothy, he says overseer. But you notice later in the same passage in Titus, he uses the word overseer as well. And so these terms are kind of used interchangeably, but also the term for shepherd, the word the poimen, which is for shepherd, is also used kind of interchangeably. And they, they had kind of a little different understanding, but they were all kind of necessary. Overseer, the word pretty much the way it sounds, someone who oversees, who looks over. The word is episkopos, meaning he looks upon. Someone who looks upon, looks out and sees. Uh, elder, presbuteros, is somebody, and, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you are like old, but there's a sense of maturity. There's a sense of experience with wisdom. And then poimen, which is the word for shepherd, it, it really, it, it just means someone who leads and cares for the sheep, for the flock, right? So he uses these, these terms, and Paul uses these terms interchangeably, let me put for you up on the screen, Acts 20, 28. He is uh, speaking in that chapter to the elders of Ephesus. Okay, so you see, earlier you could read it. To the elders of Ephesus. So you have the elders there, and it, look what he says in 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock, of which the Holy Spirit has made you what? Overseers, episkopos. And then he says, be shepherds, poimen, of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. This is a powerful, powerful verse in terms of the, the necessity of leaders, but also the responsibility of leaders. But we see in this passage all three of these words being used interchangeably. This is also true in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, which if, if you'd like, you can turn with me there. 1 Peter chapter 5. Another very important passage about leadership. And again, we see these words being used interchangeably. And, and, and he also gives us more to add to our list. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, To the elders among you, Peter says, I appeal as a fellow elder, so he was considered an elder as well, as well a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as what? Overseer. So we see already elder, shepherd, and overseer all used within two verses here. Not because you must, but because you're willing Reminds me of what we just read in 1 Timothy 3, someone who has his heart set on it. Not because you must, oh, I, I got to do this, I, I must do this, but because I want to do this. I want to serve. This is something God has put in my heart to do. He said, as God wants you to be not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appeared, you will you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. And this idea that, uh, of, of these three words and then more. So let's go back to Titus here. And we're going to look at these verses here and kind of break some of them down. Uh, some of these qualifications that are spelled out here in uh, Titus chapter 1. 
The first thing he says in verse 6 there is an elder must be blameless. He says the word again later, the same exact word. An elder must be blameless. Now this is speaking about character, right? And the word, the word literally means that he's not open to charges, that there's no outstanding warrants. Some of you know what that's like. Does it mean that he's perfect, that nothing could ever happen? No, but that means that there's no charges that are still there. And what that has to do with is, is that a person, a leader, realizes that he is that he is a human being, that he is not perfect, but he stays in contact with the Savior, and that he keeps short accounts. We're all going to make mistakes. I make mistakes every day. But to keep those accounts short, that, that, that the blame, that no one could come and say, well, you know, you're still out doing this, and, and this is going on in your life. There are some things, I must say, though, that disqualify. And, and looking at this lift, list, I keep saying lift, this lisp, <laughs> that definitely disqualify a man from being an overseer elder. Now, does it disqualify them forever? I don't think so, because I think if that were true, there would be no possibility that any of us could do these things. But as we go to the Savior, as we go and we confess our sins, He's what? Faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, keeping short accounts with God and with others. I mean, you could just kind of leave that there. That could kind of cover everything, right? Because that, that, that concept kind of covers all of life. But he goes on to more. He goes on the next one there. He says he's the husband of, of but one wife. A husband of but one wife. You know what? I think one is enough, to be, on, to be honest with you. But there are times and places where that wasn't the case. But what this, what this really means, and I've heard it said like this, a one-woman man. In other words, his eyes, his focus are on one woman, not like roving all over and, and not, you know, messing around with other women. A one-woman man. This is probably one of the things that gets a lot of leaders in trouble. Because they're not... A one woman. They're not focused, and, and, it, and it can so quickly and easily disqualify and take a, a man down out of the ministry, out of leadership. Is that only true for leadership, though? No, it's true for every single one of us. A one woman man, a one man woman. This is important. The devastation that has come and that can come through these things being. Uh, you know, as leaders, as these things happening and, and devastating the church, devastating the flock, the fellowship, because why? Because of the trust, the trust that's broken. The next thing he says there is a difficult one a man whose children believe. They're not wild and disobedient. Now, does that mean, does that mean their children have got to be perfect? Perfect kids? Oh, your kid isn't perfect. You're out. You know, they would have thrown me out a long time ago, right? Oh, my daughter's perfect. I'm sorry. 
She's the only one here today, so I can say that. But the, the other three, oh. You know. But the truth, I think what he's trying to say here is my understanding of it, is that it, it matters what happens in the home. That the home is not neglected. The home that, that, that his heart is to reach his, his own children with the gospel of Jesus before he's out telling everybody else his home is taken care of. It's got to start in the home. If it's, if it's not in the home, how can it be somewhere else? He said that in 1 Timothy 3. If you can't take care of your own home, how can you take care of the church? So it's a challenge to all of us that our homes are priority. We've got to take care of our wives. We've got to take care of our children. And there may even be times when our children are are in such need and our families are in such need that we need to step back away and say, I need to focus where my home is, my family is. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Look at uh, verse 7. Since an overseer, again, he's used the word elder, presbyteros, now he's using the word overseer, Episcopos, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work. It's important to stop right there before, before we go on. He says he must be blameless, but he's entrusted with God's work. And, and that, that alone is a radical, radical thing. That God has actually entrusted a leader to take care of his flock. Whose flock is it? We read it in Acts 20 that he purchased it with what? His very own blood. God purchased the flock of God with his very own blood. And Paul realized that. Paul sees it here, that he's just been entrusted with something that that did not belong to him. That that brings on a a whole attitude when a a leader starts to let it go to his head like thinking that it belongs to him. It's God's church. It's God's work. It always has been and it always will be. In 1 Corinthians 4, if you see it on the screen, it says that, that men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove what? Fat. Faithful available, and teachable. Hebrews chapter 13 says that leaders will have to give an account. They're they're responsible for what they do and how they lead. This is serious stuff, right? And they will have to give an account. He also says in there, though, for, for people within the fellowship, you know, don't make it so hard for them. Try to... Try to work with your leaders so that, you know, their work is a joy rather than a burden. Someday they're going to have to give an account for what they do and how they, how they carry the responsibility. I am going to have to give an account for my actions and my leaders, a leadership. So, are you all getting ready to sign up? You want to get involved here, right? You see where I'm going with this? says he must be blameless. He says not overbearing. Again, as a person realizes that I'm just entrusted with something from God, 
It's when we don't have that idea that we start to get overbearing like, you know, hey, I'm the elder, I'm the pastor, or I'm the... And, and, and we get this attitude and we start like ordering people around. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to make uh, decisions. We do. But, but it's how we treat people. That's part of character, right? How we treat people. Now, have I made mistakes? Yes, I have. But this idea includes in it this idea of, of self-pleasing, that, that the, the leader is trying to take care of himself first rather than thinking about the flock. He says, not quick-tempered. Uh, made me think of James chapter 1 where, uh, what did he say, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So, so James talks about it too, and, and that's something we all have to deal with, right? And for a leader now to, to kind of be dealing with that, why? Because people are looking at us, people are watching us. What kind of example are we setting? Now, that, that doesn't mean that, that we don't have tempers. I read somewhere, I, I wrote it down, but I didn't get it here in my notes, you know, that uh, tempers are so important that we've got to be careful not to lose them. We've all got a temper. It's kind of like something within us. Not given to drunkenness. That's important. The word literally means not staying near the wine. Not say, staying near the wine. Because why? You stay near it, what happens? You more and more. And, and, and how can a leader who is half-cocked lead? And I think the other, the other side of this that is even, even more radical to think about is, is a leader uh, has to understand that he could stumble somebody who has a serious problem with alcohol. Now, maybe, maybe you don't have a serious problem with alcohol, and, and, and that's great, but there are a lot of people in our society today that have serious problems with alcohol. And so if, if you see me down at the pub knocking back a few, now I may be able to handle it fine. But what are you going to think? Ah, oh, look, he can do it, it's cool. I remember we went to cellos one time, uh, me and somebody, I met, this, I met somebody there, a guy there, and they didn't have any booths ready yet. And they said, well, uh, we're going to have one for you in a few minutes, but you want to sit over here at the bar? And we sat there, and I, and I was just like, I'm going like, I, I can't sit here. Let's go stand somewhere else. I just can't do it. I just felt so uncomfortable. Like, who's, who's there? Who's going to see me? Why? Because I don't want to stumble them. An attitude would be, I don't care what people think about what I do. I got freedom. I can do whatever I want to do. Yeah. Well, what kind of attitude is that? Selfish. Self-pleasing. He says, not violent. Not someone who's always looking for a fight. It doesn't do well if you're kind of a leader who always likes to fight people and always like to argue with something about something. And whatever they say, I have to say this, so sometimes people say some pretty ridiculous things. Not you. Not you people. 
some other people. <laughs> Sometimes people say stuff that is like ridiculous and, and you could argue with them about it. Well, you know, well, I've studied that and let me explain to you and show you the better way and how to, you know, get your mind, uh, you know, straightened out on this thing. And then it could turn into a fight very easily. That doesn't mean that we don't instruct we're supposed to, but with gentleness. But not being quarrelsome, not being pugnacious. I like that word. Pugnacious. Go ahead and I'll say that. Pugnacious. Okay. Afterwards, like I said, you should see the other guy. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Bad, bad news for a leader in the church. How many, how many people have been taken down by that? How many people have been stumbled by that, where the leader has, you know, a $5 million home or whatever? And he's taken advantage of his position for gain. It's scary. It's just scary. So we, we need to be careful of those kinds of things. And, and these are, are some of the negatives that he, that he spells out here for a leader. Verse 8, now he gets to some of the positive things, and it's good, you know, negatives and positives. Rather, verse 8, he must be hospitable. Hospitable, the word means a lover of guests. He likes to have people. It's a hard thing, and I say this sometimes, you know, I really love serving the Lord. I really love being in the ministry. It's just the people that are a problem. <laughs> he likes it, see? It's just people I don't like. You know, I'm just kidding. Some of you are going like, I don't know that guy. And like, I think he's serious. <laughs> he just doesn't like people. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah, you get tired. You get kind of, you're, you're in a place where you just, you know, you can't deal with people. And that's like reality, right? Well, we all get like that. But if you don't have a heart for people, then it's probably not a good idea to be uh, in a leadership position in a church, which is dealing with people right like it seems so simple so straightforward but he says it here hospitable can we take care of people take care of people that that show up on our doorstep we try the best we can sometimes i go like i don't know what i can do for you but we can try we can do something try to help out he goes on to say loves what is good a lover of the good. Some transitions say a lover of good men, but I think it's more than that, and it, and it, it really means of, of all that's good, to, to love good, to love good things, good men, good, good music, good you know, things in life. The next one there, he says self-controlled. He uses this word five times in the book of Titus. Five times. To be self-controlled. Upright. And as, as an example, to be holy. To be set apart. To be disciplined. And, and the word is very similar to the word for self-control. These are things that he's, he's asking. That, and these are part of character as well. You've got someone who has no self-control whatsoever. That's probably not a good place to be in a, in a role of leadership. Someone who is, is really not set apart, has no self-discipline, 
That's probably not a good idea. Now, it doesn't mean that, again, there's perfection in all these areas. But a heart for these things. Verse 9 says he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. The, the, the big thing here, and, he, and, he, and he, first he talks about the character, and then at the end he talks about this idea of being a man of the word. And the, the, the Greek word there is logos, or the same word that we translated as word in many places. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message or to the logos. A person who's in leadership in the church needs to be one who's firmly grounded in the word, in the scripture. Not a novice. Someone who holds firmly to God's word and, and, and that really has a grip on it. And it doesn't mean they know everything. Like there is so much. The longer I study the Bible, the longer I, I read the Bible, the longer I'm a believer, the more I realize I don't know. But I, but I, you know, I, I, I hold on to it as, you know, as the very best that I can, that this is God's word and that God speaks by his word and that God has a plan for us, a plan for us as individuals, a plan for us as a church, but we need to do it his way. We talk in marriage uh, counseling, you know, this is what God's word is for marriage, and we need to follow God's way because God ordained marriage, God created marriage, and so we need to follow His plan for it. So God's Word, this is a crucial, it's just as important as the character. You can have somebody who is, who is so grounded in the Word of God, but has no character. What does that tell you? Well, they got the message down, but the message hasn't been applied to their own lives. It's got to start in our own lives first. We've got to apply those words, that message there. And then, and then the opposite is also true. You can have someone who has sterling character, but they don't know the, anything about the Bible. Well, you don't want to put them in charge in the church because they, they can't teach anybody anything. They can't encourage. They don't have the sound doctrine. Notice he says there, as it has been taught. And, and really, the, this idea of the truth as it has been taught from the foundation of the church and even through the Old Testament and the foundation of God's people, that there's this, this idea of, of this continuity, this idea of this foundation of truth. I think one of the things that we see in, in that as well is that, that they're, they're, they're not like caught up in every new fad doctrine that comes along. In, in the 40 years that I've been a believer, I've seen all kinds of things just kind of sprinkle up and, and, and come up in this new crazy thing. Somebody said, this is the latest thing, and everybody jumps on that bandwagon. You know, the holy laughter thing. They're not laughing much anymore. I, I don't know what happened to it. If it was so of God, well, what happened? Well, some of, some of you are, are not laughing right now either. Maybe you were there. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> But, but through these things, we've had shepherding come through the church. We've had uh, gold dust coming out of the sky. You know, uh, all kinds of weird, crazy things. You know, that, 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 that Christians can be possessed by demons. You know, all these things kind of like make their way through the church. And the enemy throws these things in. And somebody goes, wow, this is really cool. And they, and they veer away from what it says here. 
and go off into this new thing. He says, as it has been taught. He's holding on to the trustworthy word, the message, as it has been taught. Taught where? Taught in the scripture by God himself through the prophets and through the apostles, what he's given to us in his word. Very, very important. Turn back a page to 2 Timothy 3.16. You all know John 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16. Very, very important too. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scripture, this is where we find what we need to be taught to be corrected and rebuked, trained. Verse 1 of chapter 4 there, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Oh, you remember that. I almost forgot. For you people that weren't here, uh, whenever I said preach the word, they were supposed to say preach it, brother. That was, a, that was a, a very lively sermon that day. That was exciting. I wish you'd do that every day. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get pugnacious if you're not careful. <laughs> Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. The Word. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Again, these fads. Why? Because the people like to hear it. To find something and only to tell people what they like to hear. That doesn't mean you slam people because God has a lot of stuff that is good for us that we like to hear. But when you start telling people that, man, you know, God is saying that you need to be so wealthy that it's like ridiculous. That you need to be, you know, so healthy you're never going to get sick. And, and, you know, the health and wealth thing, that, that's another thing that has, you know, made its way through the church. We like to hear that. I like to hear that. I'd like to hear I, you know, I need to be really wealthy. I like to hear I should, you know, never get sick. I'm never going to get sick again from now on. Is that the reality? So a leader, and Paul's talking to Timothy here in 2 Timothy 4 and 3, it's got to come from the scripture. Preach the word. There you go. Let's turn back to Titus. We'll finish up. We're going to have communion this morning as well. Finally, in Titus, he talks about this, and we're going to look more at this next time. He says in the last part of chapter 1, verse 9, and refute those who oppose it, the false teachers. Again, the, the purpose of having strong leaders and people who know the word so that they can refute and, and deal with false teaching that would want to creep into the church, as it does, as it will, as it has been for 2,000 years, false teaching. You know, many of the things that we have written for us, they were written down 
to carefully spell out the truth so that we would not fall prey to false teaching. But unless we know what God's word says, we're easy prey. So leadership matters. That's quite a list, right? Leadership matters. Character matters. And, and, you know, a leader through his teaching and through his example, what a, what a leader says, but not only what he says, but how he lives, what he does. It's important, right? It's not an easy job. And, and uh, uh, people certainly aren't beating down the doors to sign up for these kinds of things looking at this. But, but let me read to you uh, what... I read about this because this is kind of important too. This is from David Guzik, who is a, a, a pastor and a teacher and a missionary. He said this, however, this is not a rigid list which demands, demands perfection in all areas. It, it provides both goals to reach for and general criteria for selection. He said, we should take this list and ask, does the man in question desire all these things with his whole heart? And does that desire show itself in his life? Is it in his heart? I might mention, I should have mentioned this much earlier, that, that the scripture, I believe, uh, makes it clear that this particular role is for men. And that might bother some of you, but I believe that's the way that, that the Bible spells it out. So, he also said this, though, as well, these qualifications are valuable for every person. Not only those who aspire to leadership, they are clear indicators of godly character and spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity and godly character. That's for all of us, though, isn't it? You could take this list and apply it to ourselves as well. But, but for somebody who... Uh, steps up and has a role of leadership in front of people, it, it, it's very important. One more commentator, McDonald, says this. He says, It should be noticed that nothing is said about their physical prowess, educational attainments, social status, or business acumen. That's interesting. Because the truth is, that's how we choose, right? That guy's really good looking. How do you think I got chosen? <laughs> that guy is really strong. That guy really, he knows, uh, you, know, he, he's, uh, you know, he's got his PhD, pretty heavy dude. He's got, you know, everything that, you know, that we, you know. Now, those things are not wrong or bad. I, don't misunderstand me. But that's how we look in the world at those kinds of things. When David was chosen, right, what happened? You know, uh, what about this brother, that brother, the other brother? Well, that guy, look how tall he is, how handsome he is, how, you know, all these things. And, and finally, it was David. Why? Because he, his, he had a heart after God. Heart after God's heart. By the grace of God, Paul said as well, the same one who wrote these qualifications in Titus and in 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians 15, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he was speaking about his role as a leader, as an apostle. 
By the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, I don't deserve it. I was given something I do not deserve. But that doesn't mean character doesn't matter. He goes on to say in that same verse, he says, but I worked hard. The grace of God working in me and with me and through me, I worked hard to, to be and to do what God called me to do. The standard is high, but why? Because it's God's church. We're going we're gonna to have communion now, and we're going to pray first, though. And, and uh, I want to encourage you to pray for the leaders here in this church and pray for me. It's sometimes very difficult, sometimes hard, and, and especially when you, you know your own, you know your own you know, ups and downs. It's difficult. But God gives the grace to go on. So, but, but to pray for your leaders, to pray, it's very important. I can tell when people are praying for me. I can tell when people are not praying for me. It's a battle sometimes. We're going to meet together at the cross now, though. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and, and we do pray. Father, that you would strengthen this church, this little part of your worldwide body as we gather together, this family that you have brought from all different places, really, and in different places in life and places around the planet, even. And you brought us together, Lord. I thank you for the leaders we have, the, the, the men and women who have all different roles of leadership in this church, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen the leaders and that, that you would help us to follow this path. Leaders are important, and we know that character is also important. It's important for all of us, Lord, I know, that the Word of God would affect how we live. The Word of God would change us from the inside out. The Word of God would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Help us, Lord, I pray. Father, also pray as we, as we come to the cross. Maybe there's some here in this room today that have never surrendered to the cross, to the fact that Jesus Christ died for you, that he was buried, that he rose again from the dead, defeating death paying the price for your sin. And all you need to do is receive it. You don't, you don't earn it. You can't earn it. It's a simple gift that you receive. And maybe you need to do that now before we partake of communion. And simply say, Jesus, I, I ask you into my life. Pray you bless and help me, save me today here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.